Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. I don't know if any of you heard it, but Banger alluded to the fact that I might be a theological giant, which is completely, I would want to refute that, except that I'll take any opportunity to be called tall in any way. And so as a very, let's say, average height person, um, I appreciate any reference to heart that I can get. So thanks for that. It is awesome to be with you guys, as always. Um, it's been a while uh, since I have been here, so I'm very happy to be here. And um, I'm also super excited because I'm teaching from Romans, which is uh, certainly one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and probably more than that, uh, one of my favorite pieces of writing in the world. Um, it's an incredible book, and so I do want to encourage you, if you just picking up on this, don't just come along on a Sunday and hear what we have to say about Romans. Spend some time in it in the week. We're basically covering Romans 3, 4, 5, and 6, and so I'm, it's kind of not sequential. I'm doing Romans chapter 6 today, uh, but you can just, it's only four chapters, just in the week, spend time in those four chapters, and then come and then hear what God's got to say through whoever's preaching on that week. And you'll get so much more out of it rather than just coming here and hearing what I've got to say and taking my word for it. You should never just take the preacher's word for it. You should always check that it actually does say that in the Bible. Um, so I'm looking at Romans 6. Uh, a few, I'd say about six months ago, no, a few months ago, um, I had this interaction with my son. I'm one of those parents, I, I'd like to make sure I don't black baby my kids too much. I'm like, I've got to prepare you for the real world, and so I try to make sure I don't do everything for them, make sure they are equipped to try and do it for themselves. Obviously, there are times when you're just like, you're taking too long, I can't, don't have that much patience, so I'm just going to do it for you because I can't live with you doing it so slowly. For those of you who don't know, I have three children, aged five and a half, four, and almost two, and so there's a lot of hands-on stuff, but I, where possible, I try to let them do stuff. And so the one day, Sandra was out, I was with the kids, and my boy, who at the time was about three, was trying to put his shoe on, and he couldn't do it, and he was getting so frustrated. He's going, I can't do it, and I'd go, my boy, you can do it. And he would carry on, he's getting so frustrated, and I've seen him put these exact shoes on before, so I know he can do it. So he's trying, and he's going, I can't do it, and I think he can. He's getting more frustrated, and he starts crying, and I'm going, boy, I'm not going to do this for you. I believe in you. You can do this. And I'm thinking, while I'm going through this interaction with him, and I'm kind of carrying on, I'm thinking, I'm such a good dad. I'm like, I'm enabling him. I'm making him a better, stronger person. And then after about five or ten minutes of this, and him crying and getting worked up, I remembered that a few days earlier, he had been stung on his foot by a bee, and his foot was really swollen, and so he literally couldn't put the shoe on because his foot was swollen, and then I went, I suddenly realized, like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, my boy, and I went through this roller coaster of going from, like, I'm such a good dad to, I am a terrible dad, how can I do this to him, I'm asking him to do something he can't even do, plus his foot's already sore, and I'm making him put a shoe on, and it was like this little microcosm of this roller coaster that I sometimes go through in life, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I go through this roller coaster where I have these moments where I kind of go, like, I feel like I got it together, I got a life together, I know what's going on, like I sort of start to build up a bit of an opinion of myself in the world, and then something happens, life happens, I get an email, I get a phone call, or something with my children breathe, something happens, and it brings me back down to earth, and I go, of course you haven't got it together, why would you think you've got it together, you never have it together, and, and I go through this roller coaster of up and down, thinking either too much of myself or too little of myself, but never seem to 
to be able to think the right amount about myself. And I don't know if I'm the only one, but we kind of live in life, and it happens in business a lot. I have these very fleeting moments in business where I think I know what I'm doing, and then life brings me back down, and then I have these very fleeting moments where I think I know what I'm doing as a parent, and then my kids are just sitting there laughing at me, going, oh, we'll show you. Uh, But we have these dual threats in life, right? We have these dual threats of, on the one hand, we can see everything through the perspective of what's wrong with us and we think so little of ourselves and everything we see is through the perspective of this is what's wrong with me. On the other hand, we think through the perspective of we don't really know enough about what's wrong with us. We only see the positives in ourselves. We we don't have an accurate perception of ourselves and there's these dual threats and the book of Romans is written to address these dual threats of either thinking too much of ourselves or too little of ourselves, but how do we think appropriately of ourselves? And so the book of Romans is all about that. And so we pick it up in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it starts off with this question. It says, what shall we say then? So Paul, he's saying, what can we conclude? So he's referencing what he's already said in Romans chapter 1 to 5. And he's saying, based on what I've said so far, what can we conclude? Now, if you're like me and you're one of these practical people that says, I want to know what I need to do. Like, tell me some instructions. I want some tangible stuff about how I should go and live my life. If you like that, then you should be leaning in here because he's about to say, okay, based on all of this stuff, which is not just theory, how should we go and live our lives? He's saying, here's what you need to do. So, but before I can talk about what we need to do, I need to talk about what he's referencing. And so I'm going to do the picture book version of Romans chapter 1 to 5. Um, I have actually used some of this before here, I, but I'm okay with repeating it for two reasons. Number one, I'm, ex- sorry, I'm extending on what I've said previously. And number two, I know almost none of you remember, so it's fine. So Romans chapter 1 to 5 is basically saying this. This is the condensed picture book version. It starts off with this. People are bad. We are bad. The Bible uses the word sin for that. Now, some of that might jar or conflict with our self-esteem, positive psychology movement that we sort of live in in the world. But according to the scriptures, it says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. None of us live up to God's standard. We are starting off place there's something wrong with us. Romans chapter 3 is actually a fun read because he quotes the Psalms and he says like, none is righteous, no, not one, all have turned away, no one's going after God, their mouths are an open grave, their lips are covered in venom. Like if you're thinking we need some more self-esteem, go read Romans 3 and it might right-size that. So the starting off places, we're bad. Now, one of the possible responses to who we are and our badness is that we should try to be good. Right? We are bad, so we should try to be good. And the Bible gives us a whole lot of ways that we can try to be good. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament, and in the context in which Paul was speaking, that's what he was talking about. He said, you are bad, you can try to be good, and if you are good enough, then you can have a relationship with the Father, of connection to the Father. The problem with this, and why this doesn't work, is because our problem isn't just that we do bad things, our problem is that we are bad. And so this is what Paul describes as law. 
and he makes very, very clear that we can never be saved through law. Why? Because it's not just that I do bad things. It's that I myself am bad. There's something wrong in me. You see, when Adam sinned, he committed the first sin, and he created a spiritual DNA of sin in us, and so I was born sinful, according to the Bible. I was born in Addington Hospital, don't tell anyone, and the first breath that I took, I was already sinful before I'd done anything. Because that's my spiritual state as a child of Adam. And so as much as I can try to do the right thing and live the right way to try and have a relationship with God, I will never get there. The law is never going to be able to save us. Okay, so then Paul says, okay, that's never going to work. What's the alternative? So here's the other way to think about it. Same starting place. We are bad. However, Christ has died on the cross for us. And when Jesus died on the cross for us, he paid the price for everything that I've ever done wrong, past, present, and future. And so if I believe in Jesus, Romans chapter 4, if I believe in Jesus and that believe that what he has done for me on the cross is enough to make me righteous and that it pays sufficiently for my sins, then the cross makes me righteous and out of that place of righteousness, I now have a relationship with the Father. That's the gospel, okay? And what, what happens is I believe in what Jesus has done for me, and that sinfulness that I got in Adam, now the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Christ has more than compensated for that. And all the things that were ever wrong with me, according to what Adam did through the first sin, Jesus has more than compensated for all of those things. He's the second Adam that overcomes that ad, the, what Adam did. He overcomes it. I'm made right, so I get to have a relationship with the Father. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is good news. This is great. And so Paul's saying, based on that, based on this being true, we pick it up in Romans chapter 6. He says, so what shall we say then? If this is true, how shall we live our lives? Then he poses another question. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So he's saying, based on this being true, look, if sin led to Jesus, led to right relationship and relationship with God, then surely if I want more relationship with God, I just get more sin, more grace, more righteousness, more relationship with God. And I sin more, I get more grace, more righteousness, more relationship with God. Now, I want to start off by saying that's actually not as dumb a question as it might sound like. Because you, you, you might hear that and go, oh, of course, that's obviously, I mean, anyone who's been in church or gone to boarding school knows that you shouldn't just do the wrong thing. The, the gospel doesn't mean you can just do the wrong thing, but why not? Because I would say, here's why I want to defend the question, because I want to say that for millennia, from the first time that the gospel was preached, for the last 2,000 years and still today, if you preach the gospel correctly, people should ask the question, does it mean I get to carry on sinning? Because the gospel is so powerful, so pervasive, so radical, so extreme, that it changes everything that we think we know about God. And we should be saying, wait, does that mean I can carry on sinning? I would pose to you that if you haven't asked the question, can I just carry on sinning, then you might not have fully considered the gospel. Because the gospel is that radical that it changes everything about how we think about God. And so we ask the question, they're saying, I've lost my pen. They're saying, does this mean 
that I just carry on with this. And we go through this cycle over and over again. And so Paul gives us the answer to that. Thank you, Paul, for some clarity. The next thing that he says in Romans chapter 6, he says, by no means. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I don't know what the original Greek says there. But basically, he's saying, no, 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 no. This is not true. The gospel does not mean that we get to just carry on sinning so that we can get more grace, more righteousness, and more relationship with God. That is called, this was law, that is called license or licentiousness. But it's saying, I have a license now to live however I want to live. And Paul's saying, that's not true either. That is a fault of thinking. That is a fault of thinking. Okay, Paul, we know that's not true. Tell us the alternative. Romans chapter 6, verse 2 to 5. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk, live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Clear enough? Yes? All fine? Understand that scripture? I don't know if I'm the only one, but I was like, when I read Romans chapter 6, it starts off so well. He says, I'm going to give you clarity about how you should live. Should you carry on sinning? No. I'm going, yes, Paul, you're being clear. And then I read that, and I go, Paul, just one time could you keep it simple? Just one time could it be clearer? And so I'm going to extend my picture book version of Romans. I'm going to use this page, even though it's blemished, because I love the trees. Um, So here's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6, verse 2 to 5. He's saying, people are sinful. We are flawed. We are wrong. But Jesus died on the cross for us, right? But then he says, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have been baptized into Christ. Now, has anyone seen a water baptism before? Right, water baptism, you take a person and you immerse them into water. You put them right under the water, and if they're really sinful, you hold them there a little bit extra, and then you pull them out. But when you're under the water, you are immersed in water. Water is all over you, all around you. It completely surrounds you. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith into Jesus, we don't just believe in Jesus, but we are baptized into Jesus. We are immersed into Jesus. Jesus is all over me. He's all around me. I'm surrounded and totally enveloped by Jesus. And so I put my faith in Jesus, and I'm united with Jesus. There's me and Jesus together. But then the Bible says if I'm united with him, then I'm united with him. Some of you should be looking at this going, I don't like where this is going. I am united with him in his death. I am baptized into Jesus, and I am united with him in his death, which means that the old person, the old Ross, the guy who used to do this stuff is now dead because I was united with him in his death. But good news, if I was united with him in his death, then I am also united with him in his resurrection. And so, I'm, this old man is dead. I'm raised to newness of life. I'm now made righteous with God, and I have a relationship with God for all eternity that cannot be broken. That's the full picture of the gospel. See, D- Jesus didn't just die on the cross to forgive my sins. Jesus died on the cross to break the power of sin in me. 
Jesus didn't just forgive my sins. He's broken and taken care of sinfulness in me forever. The old man has gone to the grave, and now I am a totally new man because I have been united with Christ. That's the full gospel. And here's the thing. The death that we experience through our union with Christ is absolute genius because we face these dual threats of law and license. The, the, the need to try to follow all the rules and the need to try to break all the rules. We have these conflicting things inside of us and death is the solution to both of these things. See, law is inside every single one of us. And, you, you know, in church nowadays you say, oh, law, and everyone goes, of course, law is bad, law is horrible, but I want to be honest, I love law. I spend my life trying to find someone to tell me what to do so I can go and do that thing to try to prove that I'm good enough. I love a rule. I love someone to come and tell me, give me some advice, and say, go and do this thing, and then your life will be better. And I go, yes, that's cool, because if I can do it, then I've made my way, and I've proven that I'm good enough, and I've proven that I can do it on my own terms. And that's law. I love living in that space. But then I live in that space, and then that thing, I realize I can't live up to the law. I can't eat keto all the time. Our carbs are delicious. Like, like, I can't do it. So then I fall into license, and I binge eat on fudge. And then I find that I'm living in that space, and it breaks my heart because I know that's not who God made me to be. And I go from law to license, and then license breaks me, so I go back to law. And then law breaks me, so I go back to license. And I go back and forth and back and forth. And God says, no, I want to unite you with my son Jesus in your death. And in the death, I'll be set free from both of these things. Because you see, law, we get set free from law through death because laws don't apply to dead people. So Romans 7 goes on and he says, it says, a man and a woman are in a covenant to one another and they have to be faithful to one another. But if one of them dies, the other one is set free from the covenant. Death sets us free from law. I'm grateful for the death that I get in Jesus because it sets me free from the law. The law no longer applies to me. But death also sets me free from the desire to sin. Because my sinful nature has been laid into the grave and I'm no longer alive. I'm a new man who's been raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus. That's the full gospel. And I'm so grateful for the death that I get in Jesus. Because the death is the the, the path. It's the way that I get to my salvation. We so often want to talk about the new life that we have in Jesus, but we want to totally skip over the death of being united with Jesus. And it's both these things. And as wonderful and powerful and incredible and true as these scriptures are, they do have one significant problem. I had a, an argument with God for quite a few weeks about the scripture, Romans chapter 6, just this passage that I read now. Me and God, we, we sat and argued with it because I would sit and read the scripture and I would say, you are dead to sin. And I would say, God, I promise you I'm not. And then it would say, but you are dead to sin. And I'd go, God, I promise you. Like, I've got verifiable evidence. Like, I've got data to the contrary that like, this is not true. And so I lived in this tension of feeling the scripture. And I, it's one of the best places to live my life and. 
I wish I lived my life in this space more consistently, but I was set for weeks on the same scripture. Every morning I would sit and open my Bible to Romans 6 and read it again, and I would sit with it, and I would see what it's saying on the page, and I would understand that that's what it's talking about, and I'd see what it's saying on the page, and Holy Spirit would be there ministering to me going, yes, that's true, yes, that's true, yes, that's true, and I argued going, but God, it's not true. I I live these ways, and I do these things, and I have these thoughts, and I I have these bad intentions, and I'm not a great dad, and I let my wife down in ways, and I think of all of these things, and God's going, no, but it's true, but it's true, and I'm arguing with God, and eventually, I just got to the place where I had to give up, and I just got to the place where I went, okay, God, if you say it's true, I'm going to believe it's true. If you say that this is true, then I'm going to live like it's true and I'm going to believe in what you're teaching me. You see, I got to a place where I had to get to a decision where am I going to let my experiences dictate my beliefs, or am I going to let my belief in God and Jesus and what the Scripture teach dictate my experiences? So we can live in a space where we let our experiences become the framework through which we read the Bible. And so we water down the scriptures according to our experiences. In fact, what we should be doing is we should be reading the scriptures and applying the scriptures to our lives like they're true so that the scriptures can change our experiences. If If you were a different demographic, you would have said amen there. That was a good thing. We can't let our, experience, let our experience dictate how we think about God and His ways, because His ways are altogether different. We can't let our experiences dictate our beliefs about Jesus. We've got to let our beliefs about Jesus change our experiences and how we live our lives. That's how we've got to work this through. And so this is the challenge of following Jesus. This is the challenge of knowing God, that every day we are faced with choices. Am I going to believe what the world's telling me, or am I going to believe what God's telling me? Am I going to believe my experiences, or am I going to believe in Jesus? Am I going to believe in this data that I'm seeing, or am I going to believe in the God that I'm following? That is the choice that we face every single day, and we can't let whether or not we follow Jesus to be dictated by experience. We have to let it be dictated by God and what's written on the page. And let Holy Spirit come and minister to you and get to the place where you go, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to choose your way because I believe in you and who you are. And open yourself to letting God come and minister to you. I'm smelling bacon and it is distracting. (laughs) Sorry. I really can't remember what I was going to (laughs) say. You know, so often we talk about faith as a fight. You've got to fight to keep believing. You've got to fight to keep following. You've got to fight against fear and just keep believing in God. And often, faith looks more like just giving up and saying, I'm just going to give up to do what God wants. I'm going to give up to believe what God says. I'm going to give up to believe what the Scriptures. I'm not going to fight this anymore. I'm going to give up and let God come and do what He wants to do with us. You know that I've, uh, I'm ridiculously blessed. Uh, I've been following Jesus since I was five years old. And I've grown up in a family of people who follow Jesus. And, and so what I've discovered, and I'm going to say something that 
A lot of you aren't going to like now, and I'm sorry for that. Well, I'm a little bit sorry, but only partly happy. Um, following Jesus so often looks like increasing and frequent opportunities to die. And that's tough. But here's the good news. Every time God invites you to an opportunity to die, it's because he wants to do some resurrection in your life. But we have to have the faith to go with him into the grave so that he can do the resurrecting. And that faith is giving up and saying, God, I'm going to lay this thing in your hands. I'm going to trust you with this thing. Though I don't know how and I can't see how, I'm going to let you do it And because I believe you're the God who raises me up. Think about this. Think about Jesus on the cross. How much faith it took for Jesus to give up his spirit as he breathed his last breath and died. And he gave it up. No one took it from him. He gave up his spirit. And the reason he gave up, he quit in that moment, and he gave up his spirit is because he could believe that the Father would do what he said he would do and raise him again on the third day. We face moment after moment as followers of Jesus Christ where we get to the place where we go, God, I don't know how, but I'm going to give up to you in this thing. And I feel like something's dying inside of me. But the good news is we serve a God for whom death is not the end. We serve a God for whom death is not the final word. We serve a God for whom death is just the beginning. And he wants to do a new thing as he raises up a new thing inside of you. And as I've followed Jesus, I've found that this thing's never easy, but I know that my God wants to bring new life into every area of my life. But often it means I've got to die to something. In my life, I've mostly only ever really wanted three things. Like growing up, I had three things that I dreamed of. It was, damn it, sorry. It was to be a husband, to be a dad, and to serve God in the church. And our, our God, by his mercy, has given me these three things, these dreams that I've had my whole life. And when I got married, I found out that Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, laying down your life for her. And I thought marriage was going to be this wonderful, expressive, life-giving thing. And then I found out that actually God wants to use marriage to give me an opportunity to die to myself every day. As I say, I'm not going to choose my interests. I'm going to choose my bride's interests. And I'm going to be like Jesus laying down my life. But you know what? The more I've been willing to lay down my life in my marriage, the more God's brought new life into my marriage. And I got these wonderful kids, these three precious souls who are incredible and unbelievably cute and sweet. But there are definitely days where I look at my children and I go, these children are trying to kill me. (laughs) And as much as there have definitely been times in parenting where it's felt like more like death than life. But as I've submitted that to God and gone, God, what are you doing in this space? And I've put my kids' interests ahead of my interests and I've loved them like Christ loves his church and laid down my life for them. I found more life breathed into that space. I found that I had regular and repeated opportunities to die as I followed Jesus. But God is faithful to bring new life in those things. I want to encourage you, Romans 6 verse 8 to 9 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. We serve a God 
who has conquered death. It's done. It's finished. It's won. He has won that battle, and he's won it for you. We get to walk in it. But that means putting our faith completely in him, saying, God, I don't necessarily get it. I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm going to follow you even if it goes to the grave because I believe you're the God who brings new life. That's following Jesus. And it is better than any alternative that is available in this world. And so what do we do? How do we live our lives? Do we just go around looking for opportunities to die to ourselves? Well, that's an option. But this whole thing starts off with, we have been united with Christ. That's where it happens. It's not in our, you know, you can get into a way of thinking about this dying to self thing. It's like a dying to self and putting myself in it and it becomes a battle with myself. And no, 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 it's not about that. It's about being united with Jesus. It's about how am I united with Jesus? Because only in his union is this death meaningful and this resurrection meaningful. Only in the union with him does this matter. Otherwise, it just goes back to law. And it's going to hurt us and it's not going to achieve any life. It's only in union with Jesus that the death is going to bring the resurrection life that God wants to have for us. And so I want to just say we should spend the rest of our lives saying, how can I be more united with my Jesus? My union with Jesus is complete. It is one. It is done and finished. That has been bought and paid for. The Bible says you have been united with Christ, not you might be united with Christ if you do the right stuff. But I want to spend my life letting my brain catch up with what God's already done in my heart. And so every opportunity I want to spend going to the Scriptures, going, God, let me see and experience this union that you won for me. I want to spend my life in prayer and worship and following Jesus and serving him in the church and laying down my life for the community that I'm in. I want to spend my life doing that stuff so that I can experience the unity that I have with Jesus and I can walk in the fullness of what God has for me. It's in the union that we get this stuff. We got to find every way possible to walk in the experience of the unity that God has for us because he wants to do incredible stuff in us. But it starts just being united with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you that your word is good. It is true. It is so much better than we could ever think of in ourselves. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. You are better, higher, greater, And Father, I I just pray that right now your spirit would come and confirm to all of our spirits what your scriptures teach. That Holy Spirit, just come and minister and speak truth into our spirits. That we would hear the voice of Holy Spirit saying, yes, 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 you have been united. It's been completed. Christ has died for you on the cross. You are made righteous. You are united with him. You are immersed in Jesus. Jesus is all around you, all over you, overflowing inside of you. There is Jesus all over your life. And God, as we live in that space, we want to follow you. We want to follow you to places that might feel like death because we believe that you're a good God who brings life and resurrection where we see death that you're the God of resurrection, you're the God of eternal life, and we want to follow you wherever you go. We love you, Father. Amen.